welcome into another edition of Prime Club Podcast from Axbury Equipment. I'm your host, Jason Danley, and we thank you for uh, joining us uh, on whatever platform it is that you're joining us on, whether that be iTunes or Spotify or Pandora or one of uh, the, the many others that are out there. Thank you very much for uh, joining us here on the program. Uh, we have actually had uh, really uh, a good response from our, our listeners out there and appreciate uh, each and every one of you for uh, checking in and subscribing. And be sure to tell a friend and let everybody know about the Priming the Pump podcast from Ag Spray Equipment. This is Episode 8. And to go with Episode 8, we actually go backwards to Episode 1. And that's where we talked with Jeff Peterson of Heartland Farm Partners. Jeff Peterson, just a, a great conversation to have as we talk about the markets and its effect on uh, corn and beans and wheat and what we've seen coming from the WASD report. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, in today's podcast. Once again, be sure to make sure you like and subscribe this podcast. Uh, listen to it on, on whatever your podca- podcast provider might be out there. And uh, be sure to spread the word a little bit, like and share us on Facebook, do all that sort of fun stuff. Without further ado, let's welcome in our guest for today's podcast. He is Jeff Peterson with Heartland Farm Partners. Jeff, as always, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Oh, I always enjoy it. It's great to have a chance to talk about the markets. You know, there definitely is always items changing, especially this year. Yeah, and and we have seen that. And gosh, I would almost like to go back in a time capsule and, and, and think about what we thought April would look like uh, across the country, not only just in, in terms of weather, but in terms of, you know, where people were with spring planting, where the, the markets were at. I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what my predictions and my thoughts were back in December, but I feel like we're in a, in a very different place than where I thought we would be uh, come uh, early April uh, in 2021. Oh, I know, definitely. And and what's interesting, so if you sit back and think about last year, okay, so we're, we were just coming in, you know, there was getting to be the shutdowns because of COVID. And, and, and honestly, the conversation we'd have been having, Jason, a year ago would have been, we'd have been walking through and saying, you know, what we're concerned about is we're concerned about if we have a good crop, we could end up seeing, you know, sub $3 corn. And, uh, you know, we might even get below $8 on the soybean side. You know, that's what been our discussion a year ago, this time a little bit earlier than this. But then, wow, then here we are now with prices, you know, up in the up in the fives and you've got beans, you know, up in the 13s and into the 14s. And it's just just such a different world now. Well, what came out here just recently, and obviously we're recording this a little bit before it comes on, you know, the podcast that drops on Monday, but the WASD report just came out. Uh, and what have you seen in the short time now since that report has come out? And I guess what what was all in that report and what did it entail? Yeah, you know, it's it was it was very much anticipated because everybody, if you look at it, everybody's trying to figure out, you know, from the supply and demand side, what this is going to mean going forward. And some of the highlights that we kind of look at, we'd like to go right to that ending stock number, Jason, where we take the total supply minus the total demand and we get that ending stock. And and ultimately, on the corn side, it came in at 1.352 billion bushels, and and that's down 150 million bushels from March. And it actually came in uh, below some of the estimates out there. Uh, Reuters estimate for what the analysts were going to say was up there at about 1.392 billion, and and Dow Jones was about 1.346 billion. So you know, it came in you know, supportive on the corn side. On the soybean side, everybody thought we'd see some tightening up on the beans. 
weren't sure how much, but honestly, USDA just left that number unchanged, right at that 120 million. And then over on the wheat side, uh, 852 million bushels, which about three million bushels higher than the average guess. But it was, you know, it was down from the eighth, or it was up just a little bit, excuse me, from where it would have been back in the March report, where it was at 836. So, so overall, I'd say supportive on the corn, you know, supportive on the beans, maybe a little bit negative um, overall. But uh, on on soybeans and wheat, but you know that's overall not too bad a report. So let's kind of dig into each one of those individually here. Let's talk about corn first. What what were the major changes in the U.S. corn numbers? Well, some of the things that we were a little surprised by as we started digging into that uh, feed and residual, they they bumped that number up 50 million bushels, mm-hmm. and and I think some of that came is anytime we go through the quarterly stocks, and that's what we've had the benefit of. You know, at the end of March, they had the quarterly stocks report and this prospective planning report. But when we took a look at the numbers coming out of the quarterly stocks, it looked like uh, feed demand needed to go up and they did increase at that 50 million bushels. And then also as they took a look at the ethanol side, they brought the ethanol number up 25 million. And really, as we dig into the reports and do a little research, it, it looks like what they were saying is that it looked like the March production was strong and they believed that was going to continue forward. And then the big question on everybody's mind is what were they going to do with exports? And they brought exports up 75 million. Now, bushels. Now, a lot of people were looking for a much bigger number than that. But, you know, I guess if we look back over time, we'd have to say on the demand side, especially if it has anything to do with bushels that are going to China, and USDA is probably going to be a little slow on increasing those type of demand numbers. We saw it back years ago when we saw a big increase happening over time on soybeans. And, and we assumed that that would probably also happen on the corn side, but it was good to see them raise that and that uh, actually increased our demand overall across the feed, across the ethanol, and across the exports, 150 million bushels. And that's exactly how much the ending stocks went down on the corn side. So when we finish things up, kind of looking at, at, at corn here, we move into the next world of the soybeans. And kind of the same question, you know, what, what did we see for the major changes, I guess, in the U.S. soybean supply and demand uh, numbers? Yeah, and on the soybean side, Jason, what was interesting is a little bit more confusing to us, honestly, and and it kind of felt like that 120 million bushels might be about as low as they want to take the ending stocks, and and the reason I'm saying that is we first start off on the crush, so when they take those soybeans and they turn them into oil and meal, they actually went ahead and reduced the crush demand about 10 million bushels, and and what they're stating, they're saying the reason for that is because as they saw the hogs and pigs report and numbers that came out of March, they're saying that overall the inventory was down about 1%. And then as we've had some of the farrowing intention numbers come out, they've said what they're seeing for the March through May farrowing intentions, they're talking about farrowing about 3% less pigs. And as a result of that, uh, they're looking for a little less pork production. And so they don't think we'll need quite as much meal. And they also were looking for a little bit lower numbers on the turkey side. But what's interesting, when we take a look at the NOPA numbers, that's the National Oilseed Processing Society. They're the ones who track what's going on with the the soybean crush facilities. Uh, Their numbers would still say that we're on pace to be 2 to 3% higher than a year ago. So that's one we've got a little bit of an issue with. The other one on the export side, they they raised it about um, 30 million bushels. And, and we really don't have too much of an argument with the raising there. It's, it's just that we're getting really close to already meeting USDA's target already. We are already down to 
only needing about 18 million bushels until we had all the sales on the books we needed, according to USDA's numbers. So I think it's good that they brought that number up. They lowered the seed about 2 million. And then they got into that residual area, that residual column on the balance sheet. And they, they did reduce that about 17 million bushels. Now, the residual, that's always an interesting one. Only way they can really come up with a, a change in that residual area is they have to look at what the amount of stocks were on December 1st. And they look what the amount of stocks were on March 1st. And they know how many bushels we crush. They know how many bushels we export. So they look at that and say, well, how many beans less should we have? And if they come up with a difference, we immediately go to the residual area. So that's why they made the adjustment there. But boy, beans are tight. <laughs> and and when we take a look at it, you know, any stocks of even though they didn't tie it up, tighten up that 120 million, if we take that 120 million bushels and we divide it by our 4.575 billion bushels of demand, we get a number that we like to talk about a lot, and that's that stocks to use percentage. And that stocks to use percentage is sitting there at about 2.62%. To kind of put that in perspective for April, that is the tightest that stocks to use percent or the lowest that stocks to use percent's ever been. And if we end up the year here, that will be the tightest we've ever been in history on soybeans. And the reason I, I like to bring that number up and talk about it is that we're able to then take that 2.62% stocks to use percentage compared to other years. And then that gives us an idea what we could be able to expect for prices. Very interesting. Yeah. Especially when you start talking about that number all time uh, and as tight as you mentioned, things were, uh, it, it's just interesting to me to, to, to see how things are now. Like we talked at the beginning of this conversation compared to where we were back in December. Did you have any inkling you know, when, when we were talking last fall and coming into December that things might get this tight in the spring? Or uh, what were your, your thoughts a few months ago? Yeah, so so let's just kind of walk back in time. And I, I like to go all the way back to about this time last year, a little before, and then we walk it forward. You know, no, we, we didn't think we'd see anything like this. And then as we came into the summer months, eh, you know, and it looked like because of some flash drought and some drier conditions and the crop was getting smaller, it felt like, okay, we didn't get as many acres planted because that's the thing we got to remember is there was 8.9 million acres of prevent plant. And under normal conditions, um, that would have been a record amount of prevent plant across corn, soybeans, and wheat. So, you know, we just didn't get the acres planted. And I mean, you know that firsthand up there in the country <laughs> you were in. Yeah, that is for sure. There was a, a lot of acres that uh, sat idle last year where we were planted extremely late or you know, we, we saw the final corn harvest come up in, in July, which, uh, yeah, that does not happen up here in, in the North Dakota, Minnesota area, for sure. No, it definitely doesn't. And so, you know, there just wasn't the acres planted, and then the yield didn't come down as, as good. But then we continued to see some very strong demand happening. And it's it's been interesting to watch those ending stock numbers just tighten up. Because as we think back to that 2019 crop, you know, it would have had an ending stock number of well over 500 million bushels. And the year before that would have been up in the 900 million. And now we're talking about getting down to a point where we're just about ready to run out. So the demand started kicking up. And, and anytime you start talking about demand on soybeans, you have to have a discussion about China. And if you're going to have a discussion about China, you have to talk about pork demand. And and that's really what it's been is that as they rebuild their industry, other uh, pork industry, um, they're, they're having a stronger demand for the soybean meal. 
And as a result, uh, you know, for the amount of animals and they're trying to get their herd back to where it was pre, you know, pre-African swine fever. And because they had, they took a big hit, you know, their production on their pork side, you know, would have been down 40%. Some would have said 60%. So what's got everybody guessing a little bit is that when they get this industry built back up, everybody's wondering, well, what is the amount of feed demand going to be? And it, and it seems like that's a question that really shouldn't be that puzzling for anybody, but it sure is because their pork industry is five times the size of ours, a lot of hogs. But what's interesting about it, though, is it, you know, it, it hadn't been real consolidated prior to the African swine fever. You had a lot of what I would call backyard hogs. It's situations, think back when we used to raise a lot of hogs around here on dirt, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, pigs, they'll eat about anything. They shouldn't, but they will. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result of that, there was a lot of the diet that, that wasn't corn and soybean meal. And as they're rebuilding these herds back, you're seeing the pictures on social media of these massive facilities, multi-levels where they've got sows on multi-levels. And, you know, they've got complexes that are turning out just in one area, 2 million head of hogs. And so what's happening now is that we're seeing that diet change and and we're seeing more of those hogs fed the corn and soybean meal diet. So their feed demand overall, we think, is going to continue to increase, maybe even when we get back to just where the numbers were pre-African swine fever. So that's, that's really given that demand for the soybeans and soybean meal a shot in the arm. And then on top of that, been a tremendous demand for soybean oil. And, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, because of some problems that we've seen out there and some tightnesses on the palm oil and, and on the canola oil and some of those things that, you know, there's been just a strong demand that side. So when you get a tightness on the meal and you get a tightness on the oil, that really helps, you know, give the soybeans a boost in the arm. Well, I, mean, I think anytime we start talking about China and exports and where our numbers are, you always have to consider a little bit what's going on south of us, South American production numbers. Has there been any big changes down there that would maybe affect their exports to other country that could inherently then affect what we have going on here in the States? Yeah, you're asking all the right questions. And, you know, early on, it's, it's been interesting to watch how things have played out in South America because, you know, we start first in Brazil and and it's hard to believe, but their, their crop went in late. Their their soybean crop went on went in too late because they were dry, and and it doesn't seem like a big deal. They got the crop in, and then they did get some rains, and and then here at the tail end, uh, they've actually received a lot of rain. Now it's turned back dry, but but what that's meant is that in this report in particular, um, they did raise the Brazilian production number on beans. It was 134 million metric tons, and they jumped it up to 137. And, and then as we move on over to Argentina, they, they kept that Argentine soybean number, you know, pretty well fixed. But going along, you know, our concern had been, you know, what's the production going to be like coming out of Brazil and Argentina on beans? And for a while, there was some concern with Argentina that the number is going to be lower, but it, it sure seems like it's kind of stabilized. I think there's a little bit of room for it to go lower. As a matter of fact, yesterday, uh, the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange came out and they did lower their soybean production number about 1 million metric tons. But keep in mind, only about 4% of the soybeans are harvested so far in Argentina. So there's still a lot unknown yet about that crop. Um, Buenos Aires Grain Exchange did keep the Argentine corn number steady at 45 million metric tons versus USDA's at 47, but there's only about 12% of that crop harvested. So there's a long way to go. 
But the crop, honestly, that's got a lot of question marks on it and could have some big ramifications on price moves here in the U.S. is that is that the Brazilian safrina corn crop, that second corn crop, that one that they are planting right after they're harvesting the beans. And because soybeans got put in late, well, unfortunately, Jason, that corn crop got put in two to four weeks late. And, and in normal situations, such as here in the United States, it doesn't seem like that'd be too big of a deal. Maybe in certain areas you have to worry about frost or freeze, but the problem down there gets to be the tail end of that crop starts going into what would normally be a very dry and a little bit warmer atmosphere or climate or weather than what they would like to see. So there's could be a lot of stress on that crop as it gets into, you know, its final stages of, of production and, and grain fill. And the big deal about that is, is that Safrina crop makes up about 80% of their production. So about 80 million metric tons out of the 109 million metric tons. And the other big deal about that is the fact that Brazil's the number two exporter corn in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, the United States is number one, but if they come up short on that corn crop, then that means there's going to be more demand in the United States to, to send out some more corn as we get into the later months also. Now, the other factor that goes right along with that, though, it's, it's not south of the border, though, but it is Ukraine. Ukraine had some problems, too, and they're usually running the number three to number four exporter of corn. So we've had a number of countries that have had problems on the corn side. So that all comes back around to potentially bring some you know, additional demand later, longer down the road back to the United States. Any other changes across the world other than, you know, just Ukraine, you mentioned that, but what about other world numbers in Europe or uh, that we're running into? Any other major shakers, I guess, out here in this uh, last couple of weeks? No, we haven't really seen too terribly much. Everybody's got a big question mark, of course, on China and trying to figure out, you know, exactly why they're wanting so much corn. And, you know, was that uh, based off of production problems they had either in the northeast part of their, their nation because of some typhoons back during their growing season or some of the flooding. But overall, their numbers that we see from USD on the production side, we really haven't seen anything too much there for adjustments. So staying on, on the subject of corn a little bit there, because you were talking about that second crop in Brazil. And, and one of the questions I kind of wanted to get to here was what has caused our, our corn stocks to tighten up? Would you say a lot of it has been based on that potential lack of production coming out of Brazil? Or are there other factors in there that are, are causing our, our corn stocks to tighten up? Yeah, I'd say there's other factors. And I mean, it, it started clear back. Uh, so if we roll back time here and say, well, what kind of get this ball hole, the ball rolling? Honestly, what kind of got this whole ball rolling? We have to go back and talk about another crop year. We have to go back and talk about 2019 because we, we talk about the 2020 crop and having 8.98 million acres of prevent plant. For the 2019 crop year, we were up around 19 million acres of prevent plant. So so all across the world, what we've really had is that over the past three years, we've been producing some pretty good crops. There was still room to be bigger because there was more acres that didn't get planted. But in a, in a sense, what's happening is that we're just across the world, we're consuming more than we're producing. So that's drawn our stocks down, not just here in the United States, but it's drawn them, drawn them down across the world. And then when we ended up having some yield issues here in the U.S., you know, that ended up reducing our production too. But then the, the big surprise really got to be is just how much China has bought. So to give you an idea, when we talk about anything usually outside of the United States, we're always referring to metric tons. Well, metric ton is 2,204 pounds. So, you know, you've got uh, one metric tons, about 39.4 um, million bushels. 
So to put this in perspective, the highest amount of corn that China had ever imported prior to this year would have been about 8 million metric tons. This year, uh, USDA has them plugged in at 24 million metric tons. But the rest of the story on that, though, is that when we take into account probably what they've got bought from the United States and what they've got bought from Brazil and also from Ukraine, that number's probably well up over 30 million metric tons. So we're talking about additional demand going to China of, you know, 650, 700 million bushels or more. So that was a big surprise to the marketplace at a time when we didn't necessarily have a lot of extra stocks. Now, what are they doing with it? You know, there's lots of different theories about that. Uh, one gets back to the, the whole thought that they, you know, they're going to need it more for their, their hogs because of these diet changes. The other thing we have to keep in mind is that they also had a goal of having a 10% blend of, of ethanol in their gasoline. And, and that meant when they started out a few years ago, you know, they were going to need to build about 36 ethanol plants like our 100 million gallon plants. And, you know, that was probably going to use a billion, a little over a billion bushels of corn. And, and because of the tightness in the corn over there, they didn't get all those built. They got about a fourth of them built. So they've got some additional corn demand that's getting used for the ethanol side too. So there's been a number of different factors that's that's kind of created this tightness. Yeah, and just kind of all across the market, we've seen that, you know, whether it's corn, whether it's soybeans. You know what? I, I guess talking about soybeans a little bit now, uh, and and how how tight those uh, markets are right now? I guess expand a little bit into the soybean world on on that since we just talked about corn. Yeah, so the the thing we've seen on the soybeans is that that whole type of discussion. I mean, it got started a, a few years ago. I remember talking to some of our clients, and this gets us back in that two thousand going into the two thousand nineteen crop year. You know, we were worried about what in the world are we going to do with all these soybeans? Because there was talk that we could have been getting up close to a billion bushels of soybeans. And then what happened? Well, we have a year where we probably have 19, just shy of 19 million acres of prevent plant. And, and so you figure there's probably seven or eight million acres of beans there. And then the next year, there's probably three or four million acres of beans that don't get planted. So we reduced our production. And then this last year, because of when the, the dryness hit this last, uh, you know, late in the summer into the fall and um, ended up shortening up our bean crop. So we got hit on the production side, you know, and that pulled us down in the situation was already getting tighter. And then on top of that, we've just continued to see a record amount of demand, record amount of shipments coming back to China. And whether they're physically stockpiling some of those or they're, they're physically need them, you know, to feed their hog herd. Um, and then we've seen other buyers step in besides China. So we've just had a, you know, record amount of export demand on top of here within the United States, uh, a record amount of crush demand. And, and when you bring all those factors together, you know, it puts us in a situation here where, you know, we need the South American beans to come in and uh, to take care of some of that demand from China, because we can't take care of it all ourselves. And, and who knows yet, uh, the thing, and this hasn't happened in a big way in many years, but if we keep using them at the rate we are, you know, we'll probably need to import some from South America ourselves to, to get us through until the next crop. Well, it would be a big change from the last couple of years if, if we did have to do that, I guess. Uh, you know, we, we keep looking at the markets. We keep looking at that price of corn. We look at the price of soybeans. I guess talk about both. What What's, what's going to have to happen before we see the top of the market on both of those? Yeah, so let's kind of dig into that. So let's let's take that corn market first. And 
And, and when people, a common thing they ask us is that a lot of times they want to talk about a particular price that they think the market could go to. And, and you're asking the right question is what's it really going to take to be able to have the factors, the events come up that can get us to that point where we see a top. And I, I think the first thing we have to do is we got to get through this safrina corn crop and actually see what the size of it is. And so if we were saying, you know, what's going to take to put in a top in the market? Well, we've got to have some good weather in South America for that crop. And then um, really everybody kind of got surprised in the prospective planning report at the end of March when, you know, we, we were kind of thinking maybe there wouldn't be enough or as many soybean acres as what we need. But we've sure figured if we didn't get the soybean acres, we'd sure get the corn acres and didn't get enough of those either, really out of that perspective planning report. So what we have to see is we got to see a good spring where we don't have uh, much prevent plant and we, we got to get a lot of acres and sufficient acres of corn and beans planted. And, and what's a sufficient amount? Probably need to have about a, a million, million and a half more acres of corn than what we had last year, just kind of give us a little bit of a cushion. And then we got to really, I think, before we actually see this this corn market top, then we'd also have to see that we've got some good growing conditions so that we know that we've got a good yield. Over on the bean side, what it really means is that even though we know kind of what the production numbers are coming out of South America, we got to see that we get seven and a half, maybe eight, eight and a half million acres of beans more than last year planted here in the United States. And then we got to see some good weather here in the U.S. also. And I and I really think it takes all those factors this year before the markets puts in a top on the corn and the bean side, Jason. Yeah, we're very excited about how things look this spring and what the next couple months look like. But we always have to keep uh, in mind what old Mother Nature's got in store for us because uh, even though we're feeling good about uh, how things are now, you could always have a situation like last summer in Iowa where a derecho comes through, takes out a lot of acres of corn, which can really hamper that that overall number. Uh, you can have those early frosts and everything. So we, we, I don't want to ever dwell too much on those negative things because people start, uh, you know, going, God, shut up, Jason. Stop talking about that. But I, I just think we're, we, I, in my opinion, and, and granted, I haven't been doing this as long as uh, some others out there, but I, I have as positive sentiment from our customers, uh, our listeners, our, the farmers that we work with uh, right now as I have seen it in a number of years. And, and that's the feeling I get. I guess, Jeff, what, what are you feeling from the people that, that you're talking to right now and the overall positiveness of uh, crops coming into the spring here? Yeah, there is definitely a very positiveness because there's a chance to feel like they can get a good price on those remaining old crop bushels they got. And, and they're excited about the prices that they can get on the new crop side. But I'd say overall, it's there's an excitement, but a slight apprehension. And that slight apprehension is they know that, but at some point in here, they got to make some decisions and they got to get that crop sold. And because what a lot of them don't want to do is they don't want to let something pass them by and go, man, it could have been really good, but I just didn't take the action. So I think they've got, you know, they've, they've got their, they're sitting on the edge of their seat, so to speak, and wanting to get some sales on and, and looking to, to lock in this price so that they can have a, a good couple years in here. Absolutely. And I, I think the one sentiment I've heard from a number of farmers is, hey, we had things pretty good in 12 and 13. Uh, I, I don't want to make some of the mistakes I made back then with not really looking ahead with a, a conservative uh, viewpoint to say, all right, let's 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 hold some of this back in case, you know, the bottom end of this completely drops out. I think guys are being positive. I think they're being, they're being smart, and uh, ultimately they're excited heading into spring. You bet. I would agree completely. All right, Jeff. Well, I always appreciate you uh, taking a little time to talk with us. 
Oh, I always enjoy it at uh, any time. I, I love talking about the markets, and it's always a lot more fun talking about them when they're at these price levels. That is Jeff Peterson of Heartland Farm Partners. We thank him for joining us again on the podcast here today. And uh, as always, just a great conversation, just uh, a great uh, mind about the markets. Uh, you should definitely check out uh, their website. Uh, you can find it online. Heartland Farm Partners is what you need to be looking up. HeartlandFarmPartners.com. Subscribe to their uh, newsletter. You can get it uh, several times a day. A lot of great information inside there. And, uh, again, I just uh, really uh, really think you you should go ahead and uh, get subscribed to that newsletter and, and get a little more information on, on the markets. It's, it's a great resource. All right, well, that is going to uh, do it for Episode 8 of the podcast, As in Life and in Pumping. Always remember to prime your pump. You never want to run dry, overheat, or cause damage when you don't have to stay efficient and work hard so your pump is primed. This has been the Agsbury Equipment Podcast.